21. And I was acutely aware of how much fear, kind of how bottled up I was and, and how contained I felt. And sort of very acutely, uh, and this is probably true for all 20-year-olds, but it was definitely true for me, uh, very self-conscious you know, and um, worried about what people thought of me, how they saw me. And it, to me, it was excruciating. And to me, it was really excruciating. And when I turned to Dharma, you know, really took up this very radical approach um, to life, um, my, my main motivation, when I look back at it, was, was to get rid of this fear. I was just so sick and tired of it and just so down about it. And I, I just imagined life would, what it would be like to be fearless. And that was a major thrust of my practice. And it took a while before I realized that that wanting to kind of crush that fear or get rid of it or not have that experience or imagine something else like freedom, you know, that like just fantasize about what it would be like to walk down the street or talk to somebody without that feeling. It took a while before I realized that that attitude, that very judging, aversive, attitude towards it needed to shift, needed to shift. And it took quite a while. I mean, it took quite a while to begin to, I'd say, include that energy in my practice. You know, I was so interested in striving for fearlessness, I didn't realize that basically I had to deal with the actuality of my experience. I had to take a look at the way it was not get obsessed or focus on uh, admittingly I was suffering, but focusing on how it could be or should be wasn't serving me. It was kind of keeping me away from exploring an energy that I really needed to come to a, a new understanding about. And so this journey of awareness is very much about transforming our relationship to suffering and transforming our relationship to the things that we encounter that create suffering for us. And the kind of transformation is, is it's facilitated by awareness. I mean, as soon as we uh, have the courage, like I think everybody in this room has, to begin to face oneself, that relationship to the things that we don't like about ourselves is beginning to change. You know, it's a, it's a radical step. But we can see that step is, is difficult, it's painful. It brings us into a world where oftentimes we don't like to see. We don't want to know this stuff sometimes. We want to get away from it. And, and this is really the wrong practice, to get away from things. Uh, you, you really you can try all you want for years on end, uh, but you're going to keep coming back uh, to those places that hurt, those places that aren't healed. Uh, you keep coming back to what's causing one pain and suffering. Because that's the power of awareness. It, it shines the light on our experience. That's its nature. And thank heavens you know, that we all have that capacity to do that. Because otherwise, if we don't turn our attention to the way things are, we end up just reinforcing. We end up reinforcing our habits. We reinforce and practice the unconscious mind. 
You know, the Buddha said that it's much better to know. You know, to know you're doing something unskillful than to not know you're doing something unskillful. Because if you don't know it, you're going to keep doing it. So it's way better to know the bad news. It's way better to know the way things are. But of course, that's the beginning of the journey. It's not the end. This process of waking up and seeing, uh, yeah, this, 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 the mind is uh, very scattered. It's very preoccupied. It's like this monkey. No matter how hard I try, it keeps racing. Uh, that's, a, that's been a regular report on the interviews as the mind continues to race. Um, sure, it keeps racing. And you don't, you don't like this. You don't like that. You, don't, you hate this part of yourself. And this should be happening. And this shouldn't be happening. And, and the mind just, uh, sometimes it's very loud that judging and struggle, and other times it's very subtle, just kind of subtle resistance or um, striving to create a particular experience, striving to create calm, for instance. Don't strive to create calm. Relax. You You don't have to try to make it happen. Just put your time in. Keep doing the practice. Keep making that wise choice, and, and then just see if calm develops. And over the course of time, calm will develop because we're training the mind to do that. But we can't make it happen. You can't make peace happen. It doesn't work that way. It needs to be discovered, uncovered. So, when we begin to wake up to the way things are, and many people, of course all of us probably, have woken up to a lot of different things before we even started meditation, you know, because we're more aware. Or certainly before we arrived on this retreat, many of us are aware of a lot of the habits of mind that we've developed. A lot of us are aware of the anxieties that we've been carrying around. They're very persistent sometimes, and they're very dominant, you know, and they're also extremely unpleasant. Uh, so, if you know, it's oftentimes that's what's bringing us here. It's almost in a sense of desperation. We've tried so many different things. Maybe we've tried therapy, or this or that or that. Um, we've tried to avoid it. We've tried to procrastinate. We've tried to talk to ourselves. Uh, we've t- tried talking to other people, and still we're carrying around this anxiety. And finally, we say, "Oh God, I just gotta. Uh, I'm just gonna have to be with this for a while and take a look." And that's really a great step to take. Um, it's not necessarily the only step to take. It's not denying that some of the strategies that we take off of the cushion or outside of a meditation practice aren't invaluable because sometimes they are. But there's certainly a tremendous value and a tremendous strength that's being developed here on a daily basis. We're developing those resources uh, within ourselves, for ourselves, so that we can discover if peace is possible. And so what we what we launch ourselves into when we begin to practice and train the mind is we want to transform our relationship to this energy of fear. You know, so often our relationship, it needs to be understood, and I'll get, that, get to that in a minute, but um, what common relationships are to the energies of fear. But what we're doing here, of course, is developing a, a, a way to respond to the things that we meet in the body, in the mind, in the environment, with uh, skillfulness, you know, with, with understanding the nature of what's causing us trouble in this situation and, doing, and choosing something else. 
Uh, we're, we're developing more compassion towards the suffering that we're encountering within ourselves, and that's so crucial. We can talk about having compassion for other people's suffering, but you know, it, we, we need to cultivate also that compassion for ourselves. Um, so that's the kind of training that we're doing. And so often what happens with these energies like fear or feeling anxious or, or feeling a lot of self-doubt or worry is that, of course, we get caught in that energy. You know, it sucks us right in. And a lot of us buy into it. Uh, a lot of us buy into it and really invest in it. And what we're investing is ourselves. There's a strong tendency to claim doubt in your mind or doubt in anxiety uh, or, or claim that anxiety as, I'm an anxious person. You know, this is, I'm anxious, you know, with the emphasis on me feeling anxious. And of course, that relationship of claiming it as me or mine makes it so much more solid. And it's, it's, it's not the reality. These fears are not who we are. They do not define us. There may be a strong habit of mind that we experience, but to take it personally, which is what we do, is delusion. And that sense of taking it personally creates a great deal of pain and a sense of separation from others. It cuts us off. I'd like to go through a list of some common, what I think are common fears. Maybe they're not. You, you, you tell me if they're not. If I get to the end of the list. It's a long list. Uh, I've shortened it over the years because I see people sink by the time I'm done with the list. <laughs> it's not supposed to be a discouraging talk. Uh, but there are a lot of expressions of fear and anxiety and worry and doubt. Okay, so there's uh, some big fears that probably everybody would agree, you know, sort of get on board with this. And uh, fear of aging, uh, sickness and death. And other fears of fear of being alone. Sure. A lot of people have that for sure. Uh, that fear of um, being vulnerable, you know, physically vulnerable. You ever get sick and, you know, that feeling of vulnerability and just really that kind of sense, oh, it doesn't get worse or, you know, kind of that really heavy feeling that we can get, that vulnerable feeling. It can be a lot of fear about uh, experiencing that or being with that. Um, Big one, this is really a dominant one, is fear of the unknown. In my heavens, you know, the uncertain times, fear of, you know, the, the uh, fear of change. You know, fear of change. And along with that comes a lot of, it's, it's kind of a kicker in a way, um, creates a lot of tension. There's a lot of fear of change and fear of certain uncertainty, and there's also a lot of awareness of change and a lot of awareness of uncertainty. And then, unfortunately, we're deeply conditioned often, given the culture and society we live in, the world we live in, uh, we're deeply conditioned uh, to experience that uncertainty and change uh, with self-doubt, with feeling like we're not up to it. It's a very predominant feeling now, uh, that feeling of... uh, Worried about what other people think, self-consciousness, 
It's very strong. Um, fear of, you know, making mistakes or failing. And sometimes it feels like the consequences are so great. And sometimes the consequences are great, you know, when we screw up. So we live with a lot of those fears. We, we, we're afraid of being criticized, afraid of being judged or rejected. You know, fear of being seen, so we hide, you know. Fear of intimacy, getting close, opening up oneself, letting someone see us. And really the fear of fear. You know, when we experience anxiety, so often it triggers more fear and more anxiety. Afraid of being overwhelmed. Are these really unfamiliar to you? Did anybody not make that list, at least on one? No? Yeah, okay, sure, no. And I go through that list not to depress you. Uh, It's not to discourage you. But it's to point out that a lot of us have had these experiences. And some of us experience them, and many of us experience them on a regular basis. And yet somehow there's a trick of the mind that tells us this is my fear. You know, it's who I am. And, it, and that's, that's the delusion of self. That's the creation of a self. And we're creating a self around that particular experience. And that's a habit itself. That's a significant source of suffering when it comes to taking a look at our mind and taking a look at all these different mind states that arise is that we've been trained to believe that that's who we are. And so how does practice dislodge? How does practice dislodge this very powerful, habitual energy? And how does it dislodge this this relationship that we have built up over the years? You know, when we talk about relating to fear, you know, a lot of it is the fact that we don't like it. Uh, it's unpleasant. We want to get rid of it. In different common ways that we relate uh, to, to fear or worry or anxiety, very common one is to avoid the situations that are going to bring it up. And what do you think the consequences of that is? We all know it. We still do it, but we know it. It, of course, builds up more anxiety. Right? That, that, when, I, when I started looking at my fear, that's what I saw, is that every time I avoided it, you know, avoided looking at it, or just avoided acknowledging that I was experiencing it, it increased it, made it much more powerful. We procrastinate, right, because we're sometimes afraid of making decisions. So we avoid making those decisions. Um, we try to manage our fears and anxieties, for sure. And one way that we try to manage it, and this is something really interesting to look at at your life, because this is, sometimes it's very apparent, but other times it's very subtle, which is we often try to manage our insecurities or our fears or our doubts by controlling things. One can see this in relationship. Uh, Comes up in a lot in relationships. When we want our way, we have a particular agenda. 
or we're worried or, or uh, fearful of change or, or we're feeling particularly vulnerable, we'll get, into some, we'll get into kind of manipulating, trying to control the other person, try to make that person uh, perform or behave the way we want them to. We want them to come through for us in a certain way. Uh, or we try to control our environment, you know, everything in order, or uh, just try to create this refuge. Um, oftentimes we try to create an inner refuge, in a sense, not just the environment, uh, not just controlling others, um, but building up a wall and a defense mechanism so that people don't know we're anxious. And that's a very common one. And that, of course, creates a lot more tension, a lot more non-relaxation, uh, a lot more frustration, uh, and a lot more fear. You know, fear of being discovered, fear of it leaking out, fear of somebody seeing it. So that kind of relationship to fear. I know when I was a, uh, a young boy, I learned very quickly, very, very quickly, that when I was afraid, I was not supposed to let people know. You know, I had a bunch of brothers. You never let them know you were afraid. You know? And I was the little one. So not little in age, but little in size. Uh, so I really had that, you know, don't mess with me. Uh, and even now, my, my brothers will chuckle when they, they look at me as a peaceful meditator. And they rem- remember me like really trying to beat them up on a regular basis and often being beaten up. But, uh, you know, I was really trying to prove to them that I wouldn't get intimidated and, and I wasn't going to let them get away with anything. Uh, what, a, what a heck of a way to live uh, your life. It's uh, suffering all the way. Um, so, you know, I remember being afraid of the dark, for instance, terrified of the dark when I was a young boy. Terrified and always making sure that trying to crack the door open so that it wouldn't get dark. Uh, and then lights would go off and someone would close the door, shared a room. Um, you know, there's no way I would admit it. And honestly, I don't even think I admitted it to myself. You know, I knew that what I wanted, but I didn't recognize that this was just some kind of fear, of course. And I certainly, the last, last, last thought I would ever have is be allowing of it or have some compassion for myself. Uh, that, that would not have occurred in a million years, I can tell you that. Uh, so, you know, these, these kinds of attitudes and relationships to these energies are, are learned relationships. And, 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 you know, when we begin to explore them and investigate them through practice, we, we begin to see that conditioning. It's so important to see this phenomena that we're dealing with, like anxiety or like fear or, or even self-doubt, which is sometimes so convincing. You know, we believe these energies. We believe the truth in the, in the story that I'm not up to it. You know, worthlessness, whatever it might be, failure, you know, loser, you know, falling short, underachiever, whatever the idea that we might be carrying, we learn those things. And it's not to feel sorry for us because we learn them, but it's to recognize that this is, the, this is our conditioning. This isn't who we are. This is learned behavior. It's learned attitudes. And we've been practicing that both unconsciously and consciously for a very long time. And what I think is amazing about meditation practice, mindfulness practice, is that we actually have the capacity to unravel this conditioning. You know, we, can, we have that capacity to facilitate and let go of these deep-rooted habits, things that we've been carrying around for a very long time and make up a lot of who we identify with.
we can actually free the mind. Usually it's gradually, but it's definitely possible. And we can see that unfolding as practice develops. It's not like necessarily all of a sudden we wake up and we're totally free. Not to say that that's not possible. But generally speaking, there's this gradual letting go of the power of these energies and the power that these energies have over our life. You see, that's the key. That's the key. In some ways, what we want to do is disempower these energies, empower ourselves. But the way we do that is to see into the nature of these experiences, to take a look at them in a very open-hearted way. And they'll begin to unravel by themselves. We begin to see a little bit more the transparent nature of these things. They're not so solid. There's not a me there. It's just a state of mind that arises under certain conditions. You're going for a job interview. You know, something's ha- you're moving. You know, there's, there's something's happening in your relationship. Conditions arise. Conditions coming together. Self-doubt arises, that mental state. And believe me, it is a mental state. Telling us a story about who we are. Undermining us because we buy into it. Then we reinforce it with our behavior, with our attitude, with our self-judging. Give it power. Mahabhu had described this journey that we're on, this investigative journey, as satipanya. That is sati, mindfulness, panya, wisdom. Sati, and that's what we're doing here. We're bringing mindfulness, and it's maturing and developing into discernment. As we pay attention in a more sustained way. Because see, even if you're sitting there saying, my mind is racing all the time, and it's scattered all the time, and my mind is drifting, and I'm feeling asleep, and I'm restless and bored, I will guarantee you one is seeing more in a more sustained way what one's experience is than often in ordinary activities of daily life. And that's so crucial, because that's what we're doing. We're paying attention. You know, we're trying to, in a much more sustained way. Satipanya. Paying attention, panya wisdom, paying attention in a sustained way, reveals things as they are. Simply put. Now, we may not like the way it is, but that's just a stage. After a while, what we begin to trust more and more, as Narayan mentioned last night, what we begin to trust more and more is that's the way to freedom. And oftentimes there's these little crises in practice when we start making discoveries that uh, disrupt you know, our sense of self or um, create some degree of agitation or non-calm in the mind. Uh, when we start facing our anxieties and doubts, oftentimes there's a little bit of a crisis saying, like, is this worth it? What am I doing? Am I going backwards? So often I have conversations with folks who think they're going backwards. And I listen to them and I know it's absolutely not true. It's just that the power of mindfulness, the power of satipanya, nurtures the surfacing. It brings things into the light. And we see it more vividly. We see the power of it. We see the frequency of our conditioning and our habits. 
but in the seeing. And this takes a bit of faith sometimes, a little bit of faith, and then after a while, the faith grows because you see it very clearly. The more we bring that light into those areas that we don't like about ourselves, the more we heal ourselves. Sati Panya, Panya, wisdom. I, I always think Sati is simple. Mindfulness. Just know what's happening. Over and over again. Know what's happening. Know what's happening. Panya, mm, not so easy. Wisdom, discernment. Okay. Living our life with discernment. It's why I say, and many people say, Practice is a lifetime, a lifetime of discovery and learning. A lifetime of discovering and learning in whatever situation you're in, in a changing world, in a changing situation, in a changing body, in a changing mind. What's the wise response in this particular situation? What is a compassionate response? And it changes. We change. Mindfulness lets us know what our experience is, which is invaluable, crucial. We need that. We need to find out what's there. But then we need to explore. We need to decide. We need to discern what is a wise response. And so when we start talking about very challenging habits of mind, difficult energies that arise like fear, like anxiety, like the worry mind that obsessively worries, or self-doubt that keeps undermining us every step of the way, when we start talking about those difficult energies, we need to move into a wise and skillful relationship. We need to develop discernment in the face of those energies. And for each person, that can be a little bit different. There's no formula for discernment. It's not as simple as mindfulness. What helps us develop discernment in the face of these energies is to be practical, to realize that this habit of mind, what you might be living with, what you might have been living with, is extremely powerful. You know, very powerful. And that there's been a built-up relationship. Remember I said, can I make room? Okay, we want to be able to make room for anxiety, fear, and self-doubt, but also make room for the resistance, that is, the built-up relationship towards that experience. Okay? And so practice is about getting to know that resistance. And of course, we want to make room, if we can, for that resistance. Okay? Get, to, get to know the nature of that resistance, that aversion, that discouragement, or that doubt, whatever is arising in relationship to these, these difficult energies. Oh, I lost my train of thought, but got it back. Um, So, skillful means. Let's look at our practice and see if it's possible to utilize the methods that we've been working with as a way of developing tools, resources, skillful means, when these states of non-peace 
arise. In other words, when we really need it. When it's peaceful and calm and cool, and you're really digging the, everything that's happening here, you had a great lunch, you're not sleepy at the 2.15 sitting, things are just going grand. Okay? Maybe we don't necessarily need you know, this particular practice. Okay? But there's a couple of methods that are extremely useful. You know, I've been working with this theme for a long time. I teach it a lot at the center, Cambridge. And I've done these practices an awful lot for myself. Sometimes when we're facing energies that we're overwhelmed, overpowered, or there's so much resistance, what we need to do is recognize that we need to try to nurture some calm in the face of that degree of agitation, that degree of judgment, that degree of fear. So the two calming practices that I personally have found to be the most useful are the touch points, which is one of the methods we've been working with here. Contact, standing up, contact the bottoms of the feet. If you're sitting, contact butt, feet, legs, hands possibly. Okay. So what that means, what that translates is, say one's sitting there and one is really worried about something, something that's happened in the past or something that's going on in the retreat and one's feeling really anxious. The key, of course, is to acknowledge and recognize, hey, there's anxiety happening. There's the mindfulness. Panya, oh, you know, I think I need to develop a little bit of calm here. I just need to ground myself, anchor myself. A lot of the fears and anxieties, they're, they're, they're built on future thinking, right? The speculation, looking into the future and not feeling like you're capable of meeting it. It's very empowering to be able to come into the here and now. Just deal with now. Dealing with the future like that, it's disempowering projecting out into the future, especially when we have bad feelings about ourselves. So coming back into the here and now, come to a neutral experience like the touch points. Feel the touch points. It it sounds too simple for our very complicated, uh, clever, intelligent minds, but actually it it works. It, It really does. With practice, it actually works, and one actually can develop more calm when one is agitated like that. And the touch points can be just incredibly useful resource, the awareness of the touch points. But you have to feel the sensation itself, the touch point. You have to actually be with that, recognize it, and then gently shift your attention to that touch point. A couple touch points, even if it's for just a few moments. And with a little bit of practice, what happens is the mind comes into balance. It's not getting rid of the fear or anxiety, but what it's doing is it's bringing the mind into balance so that it can hold and relate to that difficult energy with more balance in the mind, with more poise, with a sense of empowerment rather than disempowerment, because when we get caught in it, we're disempowering. Now we're not getting so caught in it. We're getting more centered. Touch points. Second, of course, is the practice that Narayan has been teaching, the practice of metta. Okay? The Buddha taught metta uh, as, the, as an antidote. It's not that it's um, the best practice for everybody. You know, that's, remember I said wisdom isn't, it's not seeing that, uh, it's seeing for yourself what's a useful practice. For some of us, metta might not be a particularly helpful practice, but for a lot of us it might be. And metta, the Buddha taught metta to monks and nuns when they were in a state of panic and terror. Okay? Why? 
because he saw that that was what was needed at the time, was a calming practice. And what, of course, metta does is it's cultivating expansive, unconditional thoughts. Okay? Just that sense of, of uh, possibility, along with these contracted thoughts of fear and anxiety, and the mind comes into balance. It's a calming practice. And so incorporating that metta practice, even if it's coming up with a couple of phrases when you're feeling, you go outside and you're feeling particularly down or anxious or worried, and you're doing the walking practice, you know, say, say a couple, the phrase I use, the phrase I often drop into is, may I be at ease. And I just choose a very simple phrase, one that I can get behind, and I say, you know, may I be at ease. May I be at ease. Just a couple of times. And I've been doing it for a while. And it, it, it's so calming. It allows me to, to be in those conditions that might be quite provocative, body, mind, environment, whatever those conditions might be, but it allows me to be in it and hold it and actually relax in that particular moment in time. So that, I say, is wisdom, is learning skill, a skillful relationship to working with these difficult energies. So developing calm, panya, discernment, Investigation. Once we have a certain degree of balance or calm in the mind, even sometimes when we don't, it can be extremely helpful to begin to see, to see if we can uh, investigate directly into the nature of fear when it arises. In other words, to be, actually begin to explore it as it's arising. And, and, to, and to explore it with, of course, mindfulness, which is not judging the experience, in one place that we can focus our attention, just like in the bot, like when we talk about being mindful of the body, that can be the touch points or places where you can rest your attention. Well, in, in exploring and investigating fear, a practice that I learned in Thailand, yeah, at Mahabua's monastery, a practice that they teach and often emphasize is this practice of investigation, you know, looking deeply into your experience. But what was interesting, and I learned this practice really for the first time there, was that to investigate fear or anxiety or worry purely on a physical level. Purely on a physical level. Not to get into the story at all. Not to investigate the whys, the analyzing. Not to tell myself a story about any of that. Not to get into the content, in a sense. You know, sitting in a little hut. You know, fear's coming up. It's at nighttime, you know. Lots of rustling going on, uh, you know. Turned out to be wild chickens, uh, really, who escaped from the nearby village. It wasn't. Maabua faced tigers. I faced chickens. Uh, what can I say? And I was more scared than he was. So I had a ways to go. Uh, okay, so me and the chickens are out there. And, uh, you know, they outnumber me, for one. Just me. It's dark. It was actually cold, too. And they're fighting. They're very aggressive. And they fight with each other. They don't fight me. They, they, fight, they fight with each other. And, they, and why they're fighting in the middle of the night in the bushes has, makes no sense at all. Uh, absolutely no. What are they fighting about? You know, what? This is my bush or what? You know? But that's probably why they're chickens. So, 
what did I do? The instructions, of course, I really worked hard on that instruction. I, I so much wanted to look at my thoughts and get all involved, and I just really just said, okay, do this practice. Stay in your body, stay in your body. Watch all the sensations, and it sometimes it's like the 4th of July. You know, it's just like there's so much going on, so much contraction, and all sorts of stuff. And it kept coming up, and it, it's not like at the end of the retreat, I was like fearless. But I learned a new skill. And what I noticed was after the month there, coming back, find myself in Bangkok, and I'm in the back seat of a taxi driver, taxi, and I don't like being in the back seat. I like to drive. And in Bangkok traffic, taxi drivers can be quite outrageous. And so they drive like maniacs, and there's no seatbelt or any of that stuff. At least it wasn't back then. Um, and I, you know, the first time when I first arrived there, I was terrified of the what, what I was experiencing in traffic. And I was constantly telling my driver to slow down or to drive more sanely or, or whatever. And you know, mostly, I don't think he understood what I was saying. But <laughs> he certainly wasn't listening. Put it that way. This time, taking the cab from the airport, going back into the city. I was so much more relaxed. Uh, and it wasn't like, you know, resignation. Um, it was really, you know, there was just less fear. There was a certain intensity that, that had, had worked its way out of my system. Uh, and really what the lesson was, the thing I learned when I look back at that, the thing I learned, I think the important lesson, wasn't that, well, if you watch fear, it's going to go away. Okay? Because it didn't. It lost some of its power, for sure. And the reason it did was because what happened, started happening, was I identified, I was identifying less with the psychology of fear, the mind state of fear, the content, the story, the speculation, the me. And I was actually beginning to see that fear is an energy. It's energy. It's impersonal. Your anxiety, worry is impersonal. It doesn't mean that one doesn't have that experience, or that, it, that your fear or anxiety might arise uh, the same way mine does under the same conditions. No, we're all conditioned very differently. But it's not me or mine. And I, I really think by exploring it physically, sometimes it's possible to see it on an energy level. And now it may be uncomfortable physically. It usually is because it's contracted and tight. But when we, when we begin to loosen up a little bit on this, oh, this is my fear. This is my anxiety. I'm a warrior. I have all the self-doubt. When we begin to loosen up our attitude around it and just start dealing with it in a more open-hearted, more friendly way, we're taking the power out of this form of suffering. And we begin to discover what happens is that that energy of fear begins to release because we're containing it and we're holding it because we judge it and because we... We identify with it. So when that begins to loosen up a little bit, we see the coming and going. See, that's why it's so important to see it as conditioned. Because it arises under certain conditions, it expresses itself, and it goes away. It disappears. Loses its power, or changes, or something. But it is actually a changing phenomenon. And we have to see into that. We have to see that fact, sometimes over and over again. And through satipanya, or sustained attention, that's what we begin to see. We see the impermanent nature the energy nature of this particular uh, emotion or state of mind. Just like the weather. Fear is exactly the same. It has the exact same weather. It has the exact same nature. Comes, blows up, 
sometimes into a big storm and subsides when conditions change. You know, conditions come together, rise. Sometimes the conditions happen a lot. Sometimes, it's, a lot of times, we see it's in the background because the conditioning is there, very strong, but it's a changing form of energy. And so by releasing the energy through this healing power of awareness, by our willingness to be with ourselves, develop that capacity to be with ourselves, not always punishing ourselves, but actually trying to meet the here and now, this next sitting, this sitting, this walking period. It's not that we can convince ourselves to do it, but we're actually developing the qualities that allow us to do it. In mindfulness, it's so powerful because it doesn't judge. It does not criticize or reject the energy of anxiety, fear, or worry. And so that heals, that frees that energy up, and it leaves more space. It leaves more space. Space to respond, you know, with more confidence and and more creatively. more wisely. But the way to letting go of fear is through fear. Seeing through it. Seeing into it. But remember, we need the tools to do that also. Calming practices are invaluable. Valuable tools. Sometimes working with anxiety, worry, or fear, sometimes it's really helpful just to work with the calming practices for a while. Not to feel like one would necessarily have to pay attention in a sustained way, but calm the mind first. See if the mind can get a little steady. Can, can we develop a certain degree of confidence that we have those resources? And then when we want to explore it and need to explore it, it becomes more constructive, more productive, more insightful, more freeing. running over. Let's stop and uh, just sit for a minute. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings live in safety. May all beings be free from all forms of suffering. So thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.